Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. This Ocean Allison podcast episode is brought to you by Green Banana Paper. They're making wallets out of recycled banana trees. If you're looking for a wallet that isn't made using animal products, is sustainable for the planet, and is ethically produced, then Green Banana Paper has you covered with their handmade, recycled, vegan leather wallets. They've got men's and women's wallets. Both are amazing. Soon, this up-and-coming company will be launching a Kickstarter campaign and making their products available to all of you. Visit GreenBananaPaper.com to sign up for their mailing list today. And now, to this Ocean Allison podcast episode. This week's Ocean Advocate is Jim Toomey. Jim is the cartoonist behind the world-renowned comic strip Sherman's Lagoon, using his love for art, humor, and the ocean to bring ocean conservation topics to light. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the show. Hey, Allison. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. I'm very excited to talk with you. Um, For listeners, to give you a little bit of background on how Jim and I met, how he's joining us on the podcast today, Jim and I met a little over a year ago at Blue Ocean Film Festival and Conservation Summit, which was being held in Monaco in 2015 and um, we met there because we both had films in the film festival which was really great and I got to watch Jim's film Um, it was an animated short obviously Um, animation is his specialty it was called two miles deep and it was all about his experience going down in a deep sea submersible and getting to explore the deep sea world and then him adding a lot of great animations um, to explain his experience and and what goes on down there. So I really love the film and I I went up to Jim afterwards and told him I love the film and why and I um, over the course of that conservation summit and film festival got to also meet his wife and two kids who were there with him because they were living on their sailboat and still are. So uh, they're doing an amazing sailing excursion around different parts of our world ocean and um very great to meet you jim and um is that sailing trip around the world still going well with your family it yeah it's going great we're currently in the caribbean we're in martinique i like to boast that we were probably the only people at the blue monaco event who came by boat which is (laughs) kind of ironic because it is a a conference about the ocean so um in our trip to to the blue ocean film fest we learned a whole lot about the ocean for example um just the day before we were driving in i say driving because we weren't sailing that day sadly um but we were driving the boat towards uh monte carlo uh, along the coast of france and we saw chunk after chunk of uh block styrofoam that had been tossed out by various fishing boats it's a common thing to use in um in uh, the fishing industry now so it was kind of a remarkable in situation um ocean conservation example on our way to an ocean conservation event. So it was a lot of fun. And I'm sure it's continuing to still be a great learning experience for your kids. Yeah, Um, they're lucky. They actually got their their dive certifications. So we we came out with two extra scuba divers on the trip now. Awesome. That's great. Okay, so like I mentioned in the intro, you are the cartoonist behind Sherman's Lagoon. And listeners, most of you have probably heard of Sherman's Lagoon as it's in between 150 and 200 newspapers worldwide right now. It's translated into... 
a bunch of different languages. Very, very popular. Um, but for those of you that maybe haven't heard of Sherman's Lagoon, it's a daily comic strip that Jim has been putting out for, I believe, like two decades now. And um, just, you know, first of all, Jim, kudos to you about putting out a daily comic strip because I put out, you know, this podcast on a previously weekly basis, now monthly basis, and I can somewhat maybe a little bit understand you know the difficulty <laughs> of putting something out on a daily basis so that's that's amazing but but yeah so it's a daily comic strip Sherman's Lagoon and it's all about Sherman who is a great white shark and you know his friends he's got a turtle and a hermit crab and some other characters and um, they have a lot of fun it's very funny but it also um, touches on some really important topics that we'll get into a little bit later um, but so Jim I want to start at the beginning in reading a bit more about Sherman's Lagoon and kind of your role as the creator of it. I read that you've been drawing sharks, doodling and sketching sharks since you were a kid. And I know I, I said Sherman's Lagoon's been being produced for around 20 years. How long have you actually been drawing sharks for, though? Oh, my God. You had to get personal right on the first question. Huh? <laughs> so <laughs> I am... Uh... Uh, I am 56 years old, and I was probably drawing sharks when I was six or eight. So I'm going on 50 years now. Crazy enough to say it. It, it for me, it was a fast a boyhood fascination that that particular animal. I think I was introduced to sharks probably through the Jacques Cousteau documentaries and then the movie Jaws, of course. Um, but I was probably the only kid in the theater rooting for the shark. For me, the shark was just embodied every cool thing that a little boy could admire in nature and animals. And so when you, in this, you know, 50 year long journey of drawing sharks now, Sherman, your, your character, he is a great white shark, you know, which is probably the most noted shark species in the world, but he's really like mellow and friendly and kind of goofy almost, yeah. um, which is not the normal portrayal of a, great white shark that we see in in you know most things in our world today was it always that way for you when drawing sharks or was there some point where you kind of transitioned from maybe more of like the mainstream idea of sharks to um you know a character more like sherman sure i started off trying to draw realistic pictures of sharks you know based on my uh, media experience with sharks and in the documentaries and the movies and so forth you know as a cartoonist you're not really good at either writing or drawing. So uh, you sort of pick a, a genre that uh, uses a little, little bit of both. But uh, uh, you, I probably couldn't make it as an artist or a writer singularly. But um, as, as the combination, I, I can get away with it for some reason. <laughs> so I, I probably wasn't a good enough artist or I, I probably got looking back on it. I probably got frustrated with my inability to portray a realistic shark very well. So I just took to the the cartooning style, which I enjoyed a lot more anyway. So I started creating, you know, the cartoon shark, and it wasn't it wasn't exactly Sherman back then. I can picture this shark right now um, in in the margins of my school books. Um, it was a little bit less cartoony, um, and in the beginning, Sherman was a little bit less cartoony than he is now. He was a little bit more realistic. And that's pretty common for a comic strip to, to develop that way. If you look at the really old uh, Peanuts comic strips, for example, Snoopy looks like a real dog. And then he finally evolves into this sort of anthropomorphized beagle that we know Snoopy is now. Um, and Sherman and the other characters became more human-like um, as they evolved. 
um, not only in their appearance, but also in their their behavior. So in the beginning, he was acting a little bit more like the way a shark would act if you <laughs> if you want to, you know, suppose that a shark could act at all. Um, yeah. And uh, now he's more of a Homer Simpson with fins. I guess the making him a kind of a goofy Homer Simpson like shark was a lot more interesting to me as a writer, as a, as a character than this predictable uh, this predictable character that would be, you know, kind of one dimensional shark on the outside and shark on the inside. He's shark on the outside, but he's a bit conflicted on the inside. That's a lot more interesting to me as an as a writer, and I think as a reader, it's a lot more interesting as well. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I read something that described Sherman's Lagoon and and the way that you write it and draw it as you're combining Mother Nature with human nature. And I I really felt like that description really hit the nail on the head for me. Can you kind of describe some of the uh, situations that Sherman like gets himself into in in terms of that description that I said, where you're combining mother nature with human nature? Sure. So I've had to put a human aspect into him. Otherwise, I don't think the audience would would maintain much interest in him as a character. So, I mean, part of humor and art is being able to create something that your audience can relate to. So thus the the human characteristics. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's an interesting character in that he's retained his sharkiness in a lot of ways. You know, for example, great white sharks have these organs called the ampullae of Lorenzini, and they allow these sharks and great whites and other species to, to sense electromagnetic uh, disturbances in the water. Um, that allow, helps them find prey. And so Sherman, the character also can detect these electromagnetic signals. But for him, it's, it helps him uh, predict sports scores or something, <laughs> something kind of goofy and uh, human-like. So you, you take a shark characteristic, his ability to, to smell. Sharks you know, have a, famously have a very keen sense of smell. Can, I don't know what the, the folklore is. It can smell a drop of blood in a, in a square mile or whatever it is. It's, it's, a very, it's one of the best noses in nature. And, and Sherman will sit uh, by his rock and, and smell prey a mile away, but he's too lazy to actually go chase it down. So <laughs> he's, a, he's a character like a lot of us whose, whose talent is at one level, but his motivation is at another level. So in a, in a way, I have a lot of fun taking these, his sharkiness and trying to put a twist on it that lets us relate to him as, as humans. Yeah, I think it's great. And um, in bringing up art and humor like you just did, what do you see is the importance of using art and humor? Obviously, those are two key elements in making a comic strip. Um, but in terms of environmentalism or you know ocean, ocean conservation movements, what do you feel is the importance of using art and humor in those arenas? Sure. Well, um, I think in order to to get the word out to as broad an audience as possible, you need to use as many techniques as possible or as many angles as possible. So uh, some of us are more some of us are more receptive to just the raw data. You know, 90 percent of sharks have been killed in most ocean, most uh, habitats of the world. Um, That's that's a pretty accurate number that will sway a lot of people towards shark conservation, for example. But a lot of us don't pay attention to that, or we have other things in our lives that are more important, but we might get 
drawn into reading a comic strip about sharks or watching a documentary about sharks, for example. So, so approaching the problem with a variety of, of communication devices is, is the way to, to sway the broadest audience to, to win the most hearts and minds. Art, art in particular um, provides the emotional connection. My sort of working definition of art is something that evokes emotion through a medium. And it's that simple. So if you if you read a book or you watch a movie or you listen to a, a piece of music and that evokes some kind of emotion, then that art has succeeded. If it doesn't, then that art has failed. And my comic strip by design is supposed to evoke a little bit of maybe joy or laughter and hopefully a little bit of perspective. So the art's ability to take you on this emotional journey, it's almost vicarious. In other words, sometimes... A good movie will frighten you, but it's not real fear, right? And you walk out of the theater and you're you're relieved that it was only that it was fiction, but you've uh, you've felt that emotion anyway. And there's something cathartic about feeling those emotions as humans, because you know these highly refined emotions are what set us apart from most other animals. So we enjoy art when it does that to us. We even enjoy fear. We even enjoy anger if it's evoked through art, because it's not. It's not real. We're not angry about real things. We're not frightened of real things. But art takes us there anyway. So um, to do that with with some kind of environmental message allows us to put that message through uh, a doorway that otherwise would be closed with a lot of people because they don't pay attention to a lot of the, the more I guess, classic or formal uh, conservation outreach techniques. Yeah. And then the humor of it keeps it positive and and makes that emotion that they are feeling you know happy yeah that's a great point allison as well because a lot of environmentalism can be frankly depressing and um people it's just too easy to turn the channel now so you can depress people for about 30 seconds and then they go away because that's one emotion people don't need art to to reach (laughs) we we all have a lot of things um you know, to be depressed about and and happy about, but um, we don't need art to take us to those low points. So when you, when we hear a lot of environmental messaging, it is it sort of starts off that way, and that's not a journey a lot of us want to go on. So a comic strip, and there's lots of other successful conservation conservation outreach efforts that have used humor as well, and they're very effective, and people enjoy it and pay attention to it. And so um, I want to get into a little bit about your education. Um, so take a step away from Sherman's Lagoon for a second, um, which I know has just kind of been a constant throughout your life. So there's not really, it's not really possible. But so your first degree that you got was actually a bachelor's of science in engineering. And then at some point you went and got a master's degree in art. Where did that transition come from? (laughs) How does, how does that happen? You don't often hear of an engineer becoming you know, an artist at, at Stanford, and then, you know, you have this comic strip, you know, how does that come about? I'm not sure I can still make sense of it. Um, even in, in retrospect, it's, uh, you know, life a lot of times just is following a, a certain path at a certain time. The, the engineering started with a family tradition. My, my father, my grandfather were all mechanical engineers. We have drawings framed in, the, in my boyhood home of of my grandfather's drawings of bridges and things like that. So it is a family tradition. Um, when I was 
18 years old, I didn't know any better. I, I decided to just declare a major in mechanical engineering because it seemed like a, a pretty solid thing to major in. Mm-hmm. And I don't regret that at all. It was a really good education. And then, uh, yeah, I got the cubicle job and I did that for a few years. And there was definitely something missing in my life. I, I wanted that art back in it. And I wanted not only just to do it as a hobby, but I, I really wanted to publish. I wanted to affect people. So I started the comic strip self-syndicated. Uh, while continuing my engineering job. Um, so I did that for five or six years, I suppose. And then it occurred to me that in engineering school, you don't really learn to write very well. Not surprising. There wasn't a lot in my in my background. So I decided I needed to actually get formal training <laughs> in writing. So I, I went out and I got this Master of Fine Arts degree. I was living in Northern California at the time, and I, I looked at the Stanford program and um, it, it looked excellent. It looked exactly like exactly what I wanted, which was coming out the other end of a much more, you know, something that would force me to write a lot, but also would expose me to a lot, a lot of art as well. I really needed to, to hone those skills as a writer and to, um, I guess, cast a wider net in terms of art inspiration as well. So that's how I can explain <laughs> that weird turn. Yeah, and then you you kind of made another turn um, a bit more recently. You went on to get a degree in environmental management. So you know you're you're getting a lot of degrees that are in so many different disciplines, which I think is genius because I think always the best innovations, projects, ideas, perspectives come from when you're combining a lot of disciplines. So you're just doing that all within your own self. Um, so so what motivated you though to get a degree in environmental management? Um, it was kind of the, the same, uh, the same lack of, I guess at that point I lacked credentials as an environmental spokesperson. My, my strip was becoming a lot more environmental, environmentally oriented. And, um, I was putting a lot of messaging in the strip and I wanted to expand into uh, making videos and things like that. But then I said to myself, well, I, I don't really have any credibility. I'm just a you know, former engineer turned cartoonist. <laughs> so I looked at the program at Duke and that was another just perfect program for me. Um, it was short. It was more of an executive program. So I didn't have to, you know, I was I was older at the time, so I didn't want to go back to grad school. So that was a little bit more of a distance program. I just learned a lot about the nuts and bolts of environmentalism, which, which helped a lot. And so... You have become involved with a number of different organizations as well as kind of transitioned into a bit of a different art and humor realm, a different medium. Um, Like I mentioned in the beginning, you've had some films at Blue Ocean Film Festivals and, um, you know, won some awards there. Some more film work that you've done is that you've done some projects with the United Nations Environment Program as well as Pew Charitable Trusts. Well, I guess what I'm wondering is what caused you to transition into animation? Like what got you interested in it? Because what I have seen of your animation is is really fun and exciting and visually stimulating, um, but also still having that feel of like a comic strip vibe. But what caused you to actually like want to transition into animation? Oh, that's that's easy. I I needed to put food on the table. <laughs> I mean... The, my industry was dying. Newspapers are dying off. Everybody's consuming their content with big screens and little screens, more and more little screens. 
So for me, it was I was too young to retire, too old to go to law school or whatever. I kind of had to morph with the industry. So for me, it was I was kind of dragged kicking and screaming into screen based content. And was it difficult for you? Yeah, it is because, you know, a few things were happening. So uh, say 20 years ago when you would watch an animated show and uh, Simpsons are that old. So you could use Simpsons as an example or a Disney movie or whatever. It was it's a genre that's beyond the reach of a single person in general because of the enormous amount of money and equipment involved involved in the, in the pre-digital era. Um, it's still a very laborious task animating, but if you can adopt a style that's sort of guerrilla style, that's not this perfect Disney style animation, you can pull it off as a one man band or one woman band or whatever. And so for me, it was taking advantage of the technological trends, taking advantage also of the, media trends, which were, you know, in the old days, you needed a network, you needed a major sponsor, you needed to, to jump on one of a few channels to get it out to the world. Now you don't. I can take a picture of myself doing this interview and put it on my Facebook page. And um, I've already got a 1000 people looking at it. So distribution has become, you know, flat and democratized as well. So the whole industry of media and the whole technology of producing media has changed so much that it has empowered individuals to to do things like ocean podcasts, for example, <laughs> and people like me can do short animations. Yeah. So for me, it was a natural trend to, to go in that direction. You've mentioned a few times that these animated shorts that you're producing are short, you know, that they're that they're very short in length. Um, and obviously, comic strips are short in length. Everything that you make really is short and concise. What's the motivation behind that? Well, there's two things. One is I'm only one person, so I, I really can't take on longer format films or videos. But the short things allow me to address a topic and then move on to another topic and move on to another topic. And, and also, shorter format content is what thrives on the internet. So there's there's that aspect of it as well. Of it as well. The little two-minute pieces are, are great for Facebook and emailers and things like that as well. So um, And so, you know, we've talked about the fact that you include ocean conservation topics in Sherman's Lagoon as well as these animated shorts that you make, um, but we haven't talked about what those topics actually are. So, yeah, can you describe for myself and listeners what are some of the topics that you're most proud of that you have portrayed in, in Sherman's Lagoon, especially, you know, like what topics do you feel were, are the most difficult to talk about and that you did sure. really well through art and humor through Sherman's Lagoon? I put it in two categories. There's some of my comic strips are simply, simply expose the reader to a certain aspect of the ocean that is neither conservation oriented or the least bit you know, controversial. Um, for example, I'll, I will take them to a part of the ocean. Um, I'll take them down to the Marianas Trench. I'll take them to the, the mid-ocean ridge, and I'll introduce my readers to this longest mountain range in the world, which is out in the middle of the, you know, starts off in the, out in the middle of the North Atlantic and just keeps going. And a lot of people don't know that about the ocean, the, the geography in the ocean, underwater. Um, so I like to take my characters to crazy places where I'll introduce crazy characters, a Yeti crab or a Dumbo octopus. And I often get emails from readers saying, 
hey, I thought you just made this Dumbo octopus character up, but I Googled Dumbo octopus, and there actually is a Dumbo octopus. There is a Yeti crab. There is a, a vampire squid. So I, I really I really love it when I get emails like that from people who have discovered that the ocean actually goes beyond the imagination of the average artist or cartoonist. There's just the, the, the forms of life are just beyond crazy. So that's a lot of fun as a cartoonist. Um, and then there's the other part of the strip that where I will address an issue like shark finning or plastic pollution or overfishing. Those are a little bit more, I mean, those are a little bit more um, overtly conservation oriented. And I, I think I always go back to the one shark finning series that I did a few years ago. Um, you asked what was probably a more difficult storyline, and that was certainly the most difficult storyline I, I took on. Um, again, a lot of people didn't know about shark finning. Uh, so I had to introduce the, the issue through the comic strip in a humorous way, which is really hard to do. Yeah, because, with the main character of a shark. <laughs> with the main character of a shark. So I had to I had to kill my main character. And then, you know, through the magic of cartooning, he comes back to life again. Um, so uh, that was probably the toughest one, the one I'm probably still the most proud of, that particular series. In that series, from my understanding, basically his friends ordered some shark fins on the internet and then they, right. they were able to reattach them? Yeah, right. So... Um, his nerdy little buddy, uh, Ernest, who's always on a computer doing one thing or another, found his found Sherman's fins on a on an Alibaba website, which at the time Alibaba was selling shark fins. And so it was a little bit of a throwing the real world into the strip as well and uh, bought the fins and um, had him return to Sherman. And then they were surgically reattached. So that's how I that's how I kind of wrapped up the storyline. You made it positive for, you know, a subject that's obviously very negative and all sharks are not ordering their fins back online. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's um it was it was hard to keep positive and it, and I got I did get a lot of not a lot of hate mail, but I got a lot of um negative feedback because I I rarely had a have had a, a storyline that was that sort of hard hitting hmm. and it offended some people. Interesting. Well, I think it's great that you are, you know, not only educating your audience on just like what fish are out in the ocean or these different geographical features of the ocean, but also, yeah, touching on some more controversial topics that, you know, I mean, in, in terms of shark finning, I mean, your main character is a shark and this is arguably one of the biggest issues facing sharks in our oceans today. So, I mean, I definitely think it's amazing that you even went there because I think a lot of people would be scared to to cross that line but i think and i think you did it really well i think i mean it's it's funny right <laughs> it's 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 a <laughs> negative topic that turned funny for listeners if you've been interested in what jim and i have talked about today with all of his lifelong work drawing sharks for 50 years um his comic strip sherman's lagoon which is in between 150 and 200 newspapers worldwide as well as his animated shorts that he's produced with Pew and United Nations. I will be linking to many things for Jim when I post this podcast episode. I'm going to link to the Sherman's Lagoon website so you can check that out there. I'll be linking to Sherman's Lagoon social media channels and I'll also link to um, his animated shorts that he's made with Pew and the United Nations so that you guys can check his animation work out as well because I think it's really great. And obviously pick up your local newspaper. You'll probably find Sherman's Lagoon in there as well. So Jim, I want to thank you so much for 
all of the positive change that you're creating for the ocean. It's really incredible the way that you're utilizing art and humor to touch on ocean education as well as ocean conservation topics. And I also want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Likewise, Allison. Enjoyed talking with you as well. You just heard Jim Toomey, cartoonist behind the world-renowned comic strip Sherman's Lagoon, using his love for art, humor, and the ocean to bring ocean conservation topics to light. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com. And don't forget to check out greenbananapaper.com and find them on social media to get your banana leaf wallet soon. Tune into next month's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.